So we're going to finish up this chapter in Romans chapter 14 uh, today and then next week, 4th of July weekend as well, by talking about two kinds of kingdoms and what our relationship as Christians as well as our allegiance should be to both kinds of kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and then in the broad sense, there's the kingdoms of this world. And until we get to heaven, we live in both, right? We are citizens of the United States of America to which we pledge our allegiance. But also, according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await as for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. So the question is, how should we as believers in Jesus Christ live and function as citizens of the kingdom of God in a fallen and a corrupt world that is passing away? How do we go about living as citizens in God's kingdom in a fallen world? So please look once again at the 14th chapter of Romans uh, chapter of 14th chapter Romans at verse 17 because this morning we're going to focus on three verses in this 14th chapter that tie the rest of the chapter together and, and really start to pull it to a conclusion at least this part of it verse 17 for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. These three verses give us the truth, the great truth of kingdom living in a nutshell, and what it has to do with the world in which we live, which is categorized here by simply the world of eating and drinking and those kinds of things. Uh, eating and drinking, two things that we have to do to survive in this world. Now here in the United States of America, we're reminded to whose kingdom we belong every time we say the Pledge of Allegiance, or we participate in the singing of our national anthem in school or before sporting or civic events. And as chairman of the Zoning Commission here in Emmett, I led the Pledge of Allegiance before each Zoning Commission meeting. Admittedly, being a pastor, it was really hard to break the habit Instead of saying, would you please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, shall we open the meeting with prayer? <laughs> because that was my default. That's where I go as a pastor. And we are blessed to live in a town here in Emmett where every city council meeting is opened with prayer by one of the pastors in the community. And that's a practice which has been upheld by the United States Supreme Court. But since I was a city official, as it were, as a, as a volunteer, though, on the Zoning Commission, it would have been inappropriate for me as a city official to open a, a city meeting with prayer. But growing up in America in school, most of us recited the pledge day in and day out, allowing it to sink in, that we belong to this kingdom called the United States of America. And now in the same way we're regularly reminded about our citizenship, we're regularly reminded the same way about our citizenship in heaven. There's another kingdom, a greater and more perfect kingdom to which we are a part. It's the kingdom of God. Now, if you're an American, most likely you were born here. I don't know if anybody here is a naturalized citizen, uh, but that's the other way to become a citizen. But most, the vast majority of people are citizens of the United States of America because we were born in America. 
And in the same way, if you are a part of the kingdom of God, it's only because you've been born again into his kingdom. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, a transfer took place. A transfer of your preeminent allegiance changed. I'm not talking about here your allegiance to the United States of America. That probably didn't change when you became, became a Christian. But there is something dark. There is something sinister. There is something evil. There's a controlling power and dominion, a dominion or sphere of control and authority that seeks to dominate everything within its realm. And in Colossians 1.13, it's referred to as the domain of darkness. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus Christ rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So you were transferred, you were rescued, you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness when you received Christ, the domain of darkness. Domain means that everything in that domain is under the control of the darkness of Satan. And when you came to Christ, you were transferred, you were rescued. So every human being on this planet is either in Satan's domain of darkness or in God's kingdom. And in John, in 1 John, John says you're either a child of God or a child of, of the devil. And that's true about every human being that's on this planet. So please turn to the book of Isaiah for a minute in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, because here we see how this kingdom of darkness came about, how this domain of darkness and evil came about. We see how Satan's <clears throat> domain got started. In the 14th chapter of Isaiah, the Bible clearly teaches that at the beginning of known time, a rebellion took place in heaven. And we see this in verse 12, Isaiah chapter 14. We see where the being responsible for this evil domain is being taunted. In verse 12, we see that now we're talking about a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom here. And it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. The star of the morning. Uh, the stars in this passage refer to the angelic host, the angelic beings. The star of the morning was that beautiful and powerful angel once known as Lucifer. The star of the morning he raised his head and his hand in an attempt to take God's throne from him. So listen, begin with verse 13, to the, all the I wills here of the star of the morning, Lucifer. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will raise my throne above all the angels of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north I will ascend above the heights and the clouds of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And then it says, Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol through the recesses of the pit. Satan is no doubt disgruntled. You know, we know him as the prince of the power of the air who's been kicked out of God's kingdom. We know him, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, as the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is vengeful. 
Satan is vengeful. He, he's on a mission to reclaim the power and prestige that he once had. And so for a short time, at least as far as eternity and, and things and creation is concerned, God has permitted Satan to act as a ruler of a rival kingdom. And that rival kingdom is the world of unsaved humanity and the demons of hell. And so how powerful is Satan in his dominion? Remember when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4? You don't need to turn to it. But in one of the temptations, Satan led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms in the world in a moment's time. He showed them to Jesus. And the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed to me. At least by default, God handed it to Satan. He gave it over to him. And I give it to whomever I wish. This really says something about, you know, that Satan's power and control here. It's been handed to me. You see, if Satan didn't have the power to give it to Jesus Christ at that point, it wouldn't have been a temptation at all, right? So what was the temptation? Jesus was going to have all the kingdoms of the world and all the power and the authority, but the cross had to come first. The cross before the kingdom. And that's true for every one of us. The cross, we have to go to the cross before we get the kingdom. See, what Satan was trying to do here was get Jesus, take a shortcut. Skip the cross. You know, take a shortcut. You don't have to die on the cross. You can just have it right now. But Satan has his own kingdom, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All the kingdoms that have ever existed on this earth in a moment of time. And we feel Satan's effect everywhere. As the God of this world, Satan has dominion over all the kingdoms of this world and all the systems of this world that leave God out. Everything that leaves God out, Satan has power and control over. This, the economic systems, the political systems, the false religious systems, the educational systems. Anything that leaves God out, that's his realm. That's his domain. And he wages spiritual warfare against those in the kingdom of God. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, but against the rulers, against the powers, against, I've left the word but out there, <laughs> against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So in contrast to Satan's kingdom, there is God's kingdom. And what is God's kingdom? Now, broadly speaking, the kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal, sovereign God over all the universe. And several passages of Scripture show us that God is the undeniable monarch of all creation. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his, sovereign, and in, and his sovereignty rules over, over all. Remember, even King Nebuchadnezzar declared, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. According to Romans chapter 13, verse 1, every authority that exists has been established by God. Every person is to be subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. 
So in one sense, the kingdom of God incorporates everything that is. And even Satan and all his demons are subject to God. They can only do what God allows. Remember that in the upper room? You know, Peter, he was willing to go to death for Christ. I will fight to you to the death. And then he tried that in the garden later. But the Lord Jesus told Peter about his boast. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Well, the good news is there he had to ask permission to do that. He had to ask permission to work Peter over. And God allowed Satan to do that. You remember Peter denied Christ three times. But God was still in control. He told Peter, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. God was still in control. Satan is only allowed to do what God allows him and his demons to do. Remember, at Satan's request, God removed the hedge around God's servant Job. You know, how'd you like to be Job if you knew what was going on in heaven that time? You know, Satan comes before, before God and he asked, God asked him, where have you been? Well, I've been going to and fro on the earth and all these kind of things. And then God brought up the question of Job. <laughs> you know, have you considered my servant Job? You know, God, don't bring up my name before, before Satan, before the evil one. But Satan said, well, he just loves you and worships you because you've done this for him and you blessed him that way. You know, and Satan says, if you remove the hedge around him, you know, I'll show you. I'll get him to curse you, God. But God was ill control, you know, and, and, and God restored the fortunes of Job. So that's broadly speaking the kingdom of God. It's the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe that eventually gets his way. In all things, and he will do that. But more narrowly, the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and the lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. It's a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority, and those who defy God's authority and refuse to submit to him and go along with the world are not part of the kingdom of God. They're part of Satan's domain. In contrast, those who acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and gladly surrender to God's rule in their hearts are part of the kingdom of God. And so in this sense, the kingdom of God is spiritual. And Jesus said, his kingdom is not of this world. And he preached that repentance is necessary to be part of the kingdom of God. In other words, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Remember, that's what Jesus told Nicodemus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we must be careful to not think of the kingdom of God as something somewhere out there beyond the pale blue sky. You know, sometimes since it's also called the kingdom of heaven, we tend to think that it's still out there someplace and and we're really not going to have anything to do much with the kingdom of God until we finally get to heaven. Yet in the Bible, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of Christ all refer to the same kingdom. They refer to different aspects of that kingdom, but they all refer to the same kingdom. The kingdom one day will come in its fullness when Jesus comes. But the kingdom is also where Jesus says the kingdom is near. He said the kingdom is at hand. 
He said the kingdom is where? In you. It's in you. And you entered the kingdom of God the moment you received Jesus Christ. You were born again. You became a new creation. And this world is not your home. You're just a passing through. That's the song. I really thought about singing that today. but <laughs> This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You know, it's, it's a great song. You don't fit. I don't feel at home in this world anymore, says the song. You don't fit here anymore in this world. You just don't fit. You may still be a citizen of the United States of America or like the Apostle Paul who was a citizen of Rome. He had certain privileges. He had certain allegiances related to his, his earthly kingdom as we do the same in the United States. But you have a new nature, a new identity, a new Lord and Master, and you are way out of your element. You don't feel at home in this world anymore. Bible says you even have a new way of thinking about things, right? You are not to be conformed to this world, Romans 12:1, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, this brings us back to Satan's one agenda. His agenda is to leave God out of everything. Leave God out of sports, leave God out of education, leave God out of politics, leave God out of economics and finances. And he does a really good job of leaving the true God out of religion. You know, people have said Satan probably spends 90% of his time in false religion. Because if he can get you into a false religion, he's got everything else you do. You're going to leave God out of everything in your life. And that's what he wants. Satan wants you to leave God out of your life. And he wants, you to, get, he wants to get you to leave God out of every equation. You have a pandemic, leave God out of it. The economy goes bust, leave God out of it. You have race wars and all kinds of stuff and protest and chaos, leave God out of it. And so as a believer, you don't fit here anymore. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. So unless you are worldly or conform to this world, you're out of sync at every level of culture, politics, in society. You're out of sync. You're living in a foreign world in an alien environment that's not only alien to you, but it's toxic. It's spiritually toxic. It's deadly. I like the example, the illustration that Dr. Tony Evans uh, used about a, a scuba diver. And uh, with all this, with everything that's going on with race and Black Lives Matter, you know, just click on YouTube and put in Dr. Tony Evans a black pastor in Dallas, Texas, who is, really brings the biblical perspective into all of this. And he's been doing this for, for, for 40 years, you know, uh, as head of the Urban Alternative and stuff. Listen to Dr. Tony Evans any chance you get, especially on, on the issues that are going on today. But in this particular example, he, he reckons it to a, a scuba diver who goes into the water. And that scuba diver is going to be there, if he's going to be there for an extended period of time, then he puts a tank on his back, right? And the tank is filled with, with oxygen. And the oxygen is the life, life source for the human scuba diver. And so now the scuba diver is now living and existing in a foreign world, underwater. That world is not his or her home. The world is there for them to function in just for a period of time. 
In order for them to survive in this world, the scuba divers need sustenance from their world. If they're going to make it in this world of water, if they have to live in the world of water without the sustenance from their world, this world of water will kill them because there's no provision in this world for their world. They need oxygen, which the world that they're in does not provide. So they really understand that if they're going to make it in this world, they need that life source from their real home. If you belong to Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. And in order for you to function in this world, you need, as it were, a tank on your back from home that gives you the life-sustaining and life-giving nourishment that you need. It's your life source. Now, where does that come from as Christians? The life source comes from the king and his kingdom. Turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 7. And every Sunday, I think, I, you know, the, the longest introduction was last week, and then it's this week again. Because this has all been an introduction to get us to verse 17 of Romans chapter 14. Because our text in Romans chapter 14 how, tells us how we receive and live in that life source from the king and his kingdom. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The, the believers in Rome, as we've talked about for weeks now, were, were arguing and dividing over issues that had essentially nothing to do with the kingdom of God. They were hurting one another. They were destroying one another over matters of physical sustenance in this world, stuff of the world. Not necessarily bad, not necessarily good. It's just, just is. It's, it's eating and drinking. But Paul says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not the stuff of this world, but is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Here's the key. The key to kingdom, li kingdom living in a fallen world is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who fills us. It's the Holy Spirit who indwells us. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us and gives us spiritual gifts to serve in the kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us new life. It's the Holy Spirit who sustains spiritual life. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms us into the image of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who nourishes us, who comforts us, who teaches us. To change the analogy, He's the living water that flows from our innermost being. And so, verse 17, Romans chapter 14, Paul gives us three attributes that characterize individual Christians and the local churches in which they worship and through which they serve where the work of Christ is advanced and blessed in the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is what kingdom living looks like in a fallen world. This is a description of the kingdom that is being lived out and followed. So first of all, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness. It's not eating and drinking. It's not the stuff of the world, good or bad stuff. It, it, it's, it's righteousness. Kingdom living means, as Paul put it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, that we should seek continually to be 
filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Righteousness in our daily living should always be more precious to us than exercising the liberties that we have in Christ. We can eat and drink whatever we want, but Paul has given all kinds of parameters and limitations on that all the way through. Righteousness in our daily living is to be more precious to us than exercising the liberties we have in Christ. It's not what we are free to eat or eat not eat or free to drink or not drink or, or what to do or not to do, but what should be precious to us is righteousness. Righteousness. And this righteousness here does not refer to the judicial righteousness that we have in Christ, where because we are saved, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Here it refers to doing the right thing. We would call it ethical righteousness. This is right behavior within the community of believers. You can eat or drink whatever you want. Nothing is unclean. Remember verse 10 of Romans chapter 13 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. And then verse 15 of this 14th chapter says, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for who Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. In other words, that's not righteousness. That's not righteousness. And then in verse 20, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. In other words, it's not righteous. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Causing our brother to stumble is not the righteous thing to do. And so then secondly, the kingdom of God is peace. It's peace. Verse 17 again. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is peace in the Holy Spirit. This is referring in the context here to peace in the church. This is not world peace. This is not our peace with God because we are justified and stand before God and have peace with God. In the context here, this is peace in the church. This is peace that exhibited by the loving, tranquil relationship of believers who are more interested in serving others than they are in serving themselves. So peace in the church is also more important than individual liberties. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, where it says God's people are called to this. And, and just listen to this as it begins at verse 9 at uh, Romans chapter 12. This is what really we say what peace in the church looks like. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. In brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality. These are the marks of peace in the Holy Spirit. And then the kingdom of God is joy. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's when the blessings of righteousness and peace are experienced that the Christian community will experience joy. No righteousness, no joy. No peace, no joy. 
When you get both of them, you get peace and righteousness, then you have fullness of joy. And so love, joy, and peace in the community of believers are more important than our individual liberties and rights. There are things that we are perfectly free to do, that we choose not to do. Why not? Because we are in the kingdom of God, and we're going to see the world is watching. The world is watching. The world is watching what we do and how we act. It's watching how we act and react in a pandemic. It's watching how we act and react when it's Black Lives Matters or All Lives Matters or, or whatever it is. We demonstrate to a watching world that the kingdom of God is not a celebration of our rights and our freedoms. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And when the world sees our lives marked by righteousness, when they see a person who has real integrity, a person with real honesty, a person who speaks the truth, who is good and fair and just and virtuous, that is a loud testimony to the reality of Christianity. And when the world sees relationships of peace, it's so utterly foreign to them. We need to understand it is foreign to them because they live in a world of chaos. And they can't, how can you be at peace? And how can you have peace with your black brother or with whoever is different than you? They, they, don't, under, they don't understand that because they live in a world of, of chaos. And when the world sees deep, profound joy in the Holy Spirit, sees that settled happiness, they see the real heart of kingdom living. And that is the attractiveness that can bring them to Christ. Because we see that in verse 18 of Romans chapter 14. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Approved by men. The word translated approved there is the word dokimos. It's been used of being tested and being approved. We, we use that word because dokimos reproves to how we're approved of God and they, they used that in the refinery process of gold where they would boil it and the dross would come up to the, the surface and then they would skim that off and what was left was pure gold. It's the real, it's the real thing. And they would stamp docomus on it. But it, it refers also to something of acceptance after examination. As Christians, after we've been looked at, we've been examined, and people have looked how we work, how we walk, how we live, what we do, how we act, what we say, in the same way that a jeweler carefully inspects a gem under that, micro, under that magnifying glass, he determines its genuineness and value. When we serve Christ selflessly, we prove ourselves, according to Philippians 2.15, to be blameless, and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights to the world. We're approved by men, and we appear as light. Isn't that what we're supposed to be all about, really? Lights to the world? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Don't put your light under a basket, but put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You know, you can search the scriptures and you'll find only one primary reason that God doesn't take us home to be with him the moment we receive Christ. 
You ever wondered about that? I've wondered about that. That's why my brain works. God, why do I have to go through all this stuff on earth and all the suffering and hurt and whatever it is? Why don't you just take me home the moment you receive Christ? Now, there's plenty of secondary reasons. I'll give you the primary one in here in a minute. But the, the secondary reasons, one is, has to do with our sanctification, our becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people are. They're saved on their deathbed, and that's a wonderful thing. But they arrive in heaven as a novice. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I'm still here. I want to know as much about God as I can, and I want to become as much like Jesus Christ as I can. So, you know, I'm, I want to be transformed into the image of Christ, and I want to serve others and love others. And so Christ, God leaves us here in this world to do that. But the primary reason we are still here even though we belong to the kingdom of God, is so that we might be a light in a world that is dark, lost, corrupt, and in chaos. That's why you're still here. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. We serve the king of kings as his anointed representatives. We live and work and breathe in this foreign and alien environment so that we might bring others into the kingdom of God of God. You know, that's why we're still here. I have often described it as, what are we supposed to do? The gates of hell will not stand against us. The gates of hell will not stand against his church. We are to crash the gates of hell. We are to cross into enemy territory, dangerous enemy territory. We are to put up the standard of the cross, and we are to shine the light so men and women and boys and girls come to the cross. That's our purpose. That's our purpose. The problem with that analogy is, I say we crash the gates of hell, but we live every moment of our lives in enemy territory. And we only crash the gates of hell when we go and put up the standard of the cross. And so to change the scuba diver analogy here a little bit, I think deep sea diver fits it a whole lot better because the deep sea diver has to put on all that armor. We have to put on the armor of God so that we are, we are protected. But that is our job. That's, that's why each one of us is still here. And so verse 19 of Romans chapter 14 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. The word translated pursue there means to put to flight. It's often translated persecute in the Bible. In other words, we run after, we chase the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. We chase it. Are there riots and protests? Then we pursue the things that make for peace and the things that build one another up. Are there pandemics? Then we pursue the things that make for peace and the things that build one another up. Is there political polarization and differences of opinions and deep cultural divides? Then we pursue the things that make for peace in the building up of one another. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, I'm thinking ahead this week because Fourth uh, of July weekend is coming up next weekend, Lord, and we'll be celebrating the wonder and the blessings and the privileges of what it means to be a citizen 
of the United States of America. And Father, as we prepare in our hearts and our celebrations and all that goes along with that next week, Father, I'm just praying that you would be working in our hearts and our minds, preparing us for next week's message as well, Father, as we see how all of this ties together in a wonderful and blessed way, Father. But Father, I pray that uh, as we watch the news, as we post things on Facebook, as we talk to people, whatever that we say and do, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to our minds that we pursue the things that make for peace. That's what we're after, peace. And the things for the building up of one another as believers. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.